Thank you all so much for joining me today. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come bold, we come boldly before your throne of grace and we thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We are excited about the way that you are allowing us to understand your word. Thank you for allowing us to move forward in righteousness. God, we ask that you give us a double portion of your love, mercy, and grace, that you allow us to perceive things from your perspective and not our own. Let us understand through our hearing from your ears and not our own so that we're not seeing and hearing people from our own perspectives, God. We want to be able to see and hear people the way that you see and hear them. So we're being more like you, maintaining your perspective in all things. And so we thank you, God, for tuning your ears to hear our voice. We thank you, God, for just being able to have this relationship with you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of the body of Christ. God, it's exciting to be able to just call upon your name and you be there in the midst with us. Thank you for comforting us when we need you. Thank you for being there, God. Thank you for intervening on our behalf. Thank you for giving us all of the strength that we need in order to sustain, God. We just thank you, God. And so we ask that you allow your will to be done in our life and that you will supply our needs according to your riches and glory, God. It's all about you because you are the one who made us important. You are the one who sacrificed your life on the cross, God, so that we can live a life of abundance. So it's about you, God. We, you have, you died for us. So now it's time for us to live for you. And so, God, we just thank you right now that you allow us to be able to have abundance. God, we ask that you create healthier relationships, meaning our friendships, our network. That you allow us to be inspired by your children, God. That we inspire each other. And, and we just pray that your will be done. And so, God, we thank you for giving us access to the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling us up. We just ask that you allow us to take the word and be able to walk in righteousness. Be able to be humble, excited, and joyful about the plans that you have for us, oh Lord. And so, God, we just ask the Holy Spirit to just quicken us. Quicken us, Holy Spirit, so that we can be positioned exactly where we need to, so that we can know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, being bold when we need to. So, God, we say yes to you. We say yes to where you want us to go. We say yes to how you want us to go. We say yes to who you want us to say it to. We say yes to however you want us to say it, whenever you want us to say it, wherever you want us to say it. God, we say yes to you. We are ready and willing to. Do everything that you have planned and your purpose and will for our lives, God. So allow us to walk in it. We ask that you orchestrate what needs to be orchestrated in our life. Pivot us, God. Position us. Maneuver us. Whatever it takes for us to fulfill your plan, will, and purpose, God. We ask that you do it and implement it right now in our lives today. And so we thank you that we have softened and open hearts. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling me up. I pray that you will lead me in this discussion. Allow me to discuss everything that I need to today. Don't let me forget anything at all. And most importantly, God, please allow your will to be done. Not our will, not anyone else's will, not no one else's plan. Because some people have whole plans. They'll set up an entire plan for our lives. 
They have a whole goal set up that we don't even know about. So, God, we ask that your plan be fulfilled, not our plans, not our wills, not anyone else's plans or will for our life. But, God, we ask that your will be done. God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in your kingdom, God, as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. If you all can hold on for one second, I just have to adjust my my heating up in here right now. Okay. So thank you all so much for holding. Um, so I appreciate you all for holding today. Um, I did start a couple minutes late. I've had a rigorous day okay some exciting stuff going on today um but most importantly god is really coming through i feel really excited about the plans that god has for us so i want to talk about um i want to finish talking about women's health and hopefully we're really soon i'll be able to shift along but until you know the holy spirit have me completely move on from this topic i'm still on the topic of women's health and so i want to talk about today um still i wanted to continue the video from the power of influence i wanted to talk about two different articles about how influence really plays a key role in your life and it indicates how you will be influenced by other people um and also just going into the scriptures about how what the things that god wants us to do and how we can stay motivated and inspired by god and not sort of look at the the bible or scripture in a way where we're like feeling like we have to be you know holier than thou so i want to talk about this holier holier than thou approach to life right and so uh before i get there though let's let's focus on a few things here so the first thing i want to look at is philippians chapter 4 verse 13. okay and so let's look here all right there we go it's well it's a couple of uh a couple of different warning signs that i wanted to pay attention to with you know just particularly being holier than thou so um we're gonna go to a few scriptures okay i look at this scripture too all right so let's look at let, let's start off with philippians chapter 4 verses 13. okay so this says i can do all things all this through him who gives me strength i like to look at this philippians 4 13 in different verses because it'll be nice to see some different translations of it so i'm going to go to bible hub so philippians 4 and 13 in the niv version it says i can do all this through him who gives me strength the new living translation states for i can do everything through christ who gives me strength the King James Bible says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. 
The Amplified Bible says, I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I like that. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Woo, I tell you right there, that Amplified Bible is serious, okay? I like that. It says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I like the part it says, it's, it's to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. So God infuses us. He infuses us with confidence. So that what this means, let's let's understand the context of what this scripture is saying. It's so it's important to be able to move forward in life, right? We all need to be able to understand what God is saying. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I was a little kid. And so I used to love reading as a kid. Okay, let's let me I just want to give you all this story from when I was a kid. Um one thing about me is like I used to read so many books that I just start writing stuff like I would just write everything. I used to just write and read and write and read and I was a real nerd in school. I was when I was, but I was a popular nerd, right? Because so growing up my mom like when i tell you all she like she just cared about us dressing really nice okay it's always been about a fashion show a fashion delivery and so for me as i got older i kind of rejected the notion of you know like just being driven by materialistic possessions so my mom pretty much was like a hoarder of all new stuff, like all new clothes, all new shoes, all new hats. So if my mom has hats, she's going to have like 500 hats. My mom have about 2,000 pairs of shoes. She would have maybe uh, 500 different purses. Okay, um... So, like, growing up in an environment where, like, it was hoarding of new clothes and new shoes and new this. But most of the time, we didn't even, sometimes even have food to eat. But we have clothes to wear. Like, that, when as I got older and I noticed that, it really put me in the mindset that, you know, it was something going on that was wrong. Like, this is wrong. Like, I can't. I can have nice clothes and I can have nice shoes and, you know, my hair looks nice, but my stomach is hungry. I'm hungry. And so it, it was just like, I don't know, this maybe this image. And so you maintaining a certain image for some people that to me was very hard to have to deal with because many times we didn't even have food to eat, but we have nice clothes and shoes. Okay, and so that was kind of hard to deal with. Now, 
as far as the amount of clothes that my mom bought me, I mean, I I I never really kept up with that stuff. Um, I never really been attached to having a uh hoarding uh or a hoard of, of items. The only time I've had a hoard of items is when I had a lot of shoes and a bunch of clothes. But anything beyond that, like a bunch of different coats and stuff like that, it's, it's always been for me to try to minimize. So even though I had those items, I never had them like in a kitchen area or they're not going to be like in my living room. Okay, so my clothes and my wardrobe isn't going to go past my room and I need to be able to walk in my room. So although I did hoard items, right? I hoard clothes and shoes, but they were in the correct location. So my closet would have to be able to accommodate this, you know? Um, so when you think of hoarding, hoard, a hoard of items is when people have clothes and different stuff in their kitchen and then you have it in your living room and then you have it in your restroom you have stuff everywhere so having to endure um always trying to look nice and this and that i i, I never as i get older i never cared about that stuff besides having like if i had a lot of shoes i'll have a lot of shoes and sometimes i won't wear them and so I did go through, I, I, I did go through a withdrawal process to being attached to these items that I was hoarding. And so I didn't even identify at that point, at a point in my life that I was actually hoarding because I guess I justified the fact that everything was in my room. It didn't leave my closet. It didn't leave my drawers, right? So even though I had shoes stacked upon shoes and maybe totes in my closet worth of shoes, you know, um, that is still considered hoarding. And so because I didn't have it in the front room or I didn't have it in the kitchen, it's to me, it felt like, okay, so I'm not hoarding. But in actuality, I was. And so I had to deal with that. But when it comes to like me, um, when it comes to growing up as an adult, I really didn't like having to be attached to too many different material things besides like the clothes and the shoes. And they don't, I didn't really care about what kind of shoes it was. It could be a, the shoes from the thrift store. If they was brand new, I like them. I, I just like shoes. It didn't matter where they came from. They could come from Payless or they could, they could be red bottoms. You know, I can have name brand Louis. I can have Prada. I can have Payless shoes. I can have Walmart shoes. I can have thrift store shoes. It, they could be, once again, red bottoms, name brand, whatever kind of brand. It didn't matter about the brand. So, the point of the matter is, is that I had to learn a lot. And so my mom, she, she always would, you know, like have me dress a certain way. But when it comes to me really liking something, my hobby was reading. My hobby was writing. I could care less about shoes. I could care less about a, a dress, okay, or some pants. I didn't care about that kind of stuff. I wouldn't even care how I went out, looked outside when I go outside. All I care about is do I have my books that I need to read and review and talk about in class? That's all I cared about. It's really about um, the schoolwork itself. So I would say that I was kind of a nerd, but when I transitioned to understanding the Bible, 
that me reading a lot and not being too too much concerned about a lot of things that my peers are concerned about because i really liked school a lot i was a nerd my mom she um she had like album fulls of she had photo albums full of honor roll certificates from me and my sister when we were younger so when i got older and i began to make like stupid decisions um it kind of made me think like okay so i guess i'm book smart but then i wasn't street smart so that didn't work out for me okay so i had to learn a lot of stuff and unfortunately with me having to learn so much through experience because i wasn't the person that will sit back listen and observe i had to be in in engaged and going through experiences so most of my learnings and my um my ability to you know reflect on life came from experience and not observations so i ended up having to go through a lot of unnecessary things in my life but what i really wanted to talk about specifically here is the word of god so I came from transitioning to my mom always, you know, like kind of having me focused on the wrong type of stuff. And being an honor roll student as a kid is like, okay, well, you know, you, you think in your mind that everyone is excited for you, but actually being an honor roll student really didn't mean anything. And the reason why is because everyone just knew that you were going to be an honor roll student. So they're like, oh, you know, yeah, my kid's on the honor roll again. My kid's on the honor roll again. We, Star was on the honor roll. She just got another certificate. She's on the honor roll. So even though my mom, her intent was focusing on a lot of different things in my life, my intent in life was really um, focusing on the rewards and stuff that I received from school. And focusing on recognitions and um just being honoring people within history and so i was just like really focused and so when i started reading the bible my grandmother she always lived with us and so she bought me this bible that have all these pictures and stuff in it but i wasn't like i'm a visual learner don't get me wrong but that's not how i wanted to learn about the bible so i wanted a regular bible so my grandmother, she ended up getting me this, um, first she got me like this preteen Bible and then she got me a regular like adolescent or a teenage Bible. And then she just ended up giving me the regular Bible. And so I started learning the word of God from the New Living Translation. That's when I first started studying and then I went over into the New International Version. But the way that it started out was looking at this stuff and i didn't want to learn from that i'm a reader i'm a writer i could give me the regular bible so that i can learn what i want to you know i need to understand what i'm reading here and so when i first started reading it was like as if okay well i understand this but i don't understand this and so i had wanted to read in the king james and i i did read some in the king james but i really really learned from the niv and the new living translation so the point is, is that we can go through life and we can, you know, like have all of these other deterrences in life. But the number one precious thing that you need to have in your life is the Bible. Because there are so many people in this world that have alternative um, solutions in your life. They have these alternative methods for you when you're making a mistake and then you have 
these um these opportunities to sort of you know analyze your mistakes and look back over them and see what you could do different and how you can do this and how you can do that and yo you know like it's so many different options out here but if you don't have the word of god then it's gonna be a very hard and strenuous process in your life because if we don't have anything in this world, if we have the word of God, it will lead you into all peace. It will lead you exactly where you need to be in life. The word of God teaches us how to be humble. It teaches us humility. It also teaches us how to deal with our own attitudes, our flawed attitudes. It, it it helps us to deal with many what many people endure bitterness when they're they're having bursts of anger and outbursts and belligerent and are um upset or angry unforgiving the bible helps us deal with all of these different things so if you don't have anything in this life you need a bible because it's going to help you. And so like I challenge a lot of people to say, just saying, okay, well, you know, if you saying that you don't believe in order for you to understand, maybe you should read it. Maybe you can, you know, like analyze it and, you know, gain a different perspective. Just giving yourself the opportunity to try it. I also knew people that didn't even know how to read. And learn how to read from reading the Bible. And I know two people like that. And so it's okay. Like even if you if you don't know how to read. The Bible is an excellent tool. To utilize when you're first learning how to read. And I know like specifically. I worked with a very close friend of mine. And I would just say, just read to me. And he, he would just read the New Living Translation out loud. It's about faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. So when you read it out loud, eventually you can comprehend it and understand what it says. So like I feel in the spirit right now, that there is somebody who really would like to read the Bible, but you don't really know or understand what it means and so god allowed different translations for people to be able to understand it so the greatest way to start out with reading the bible is through the new living translation so if you don't know how to read don't feel embarrassed about it because guess what before anybody knew how to read you had people in this world that didn't know how to do it before anybody became a business owner, they didn't know how to be a business owner. Before they knew how to drive, they didn't know how to drive. Before they knew how to love, they didn't know how to love. Before they knew what respect was, they didn't know how to respect. So we have to learn at some point in order for us to perfect the things that we know. So I want to I want to also look at this scripture where it talks about um you have to basically you you become you have to become a fool to become wise and so let's look at this scripture in first corinthians chapter 3 and 18 
It says, do not deceive yourselves. This is the scripture I was talking about, I believe, uh, maybe on Monday. Or, yeah, I believe it could have been Monday. 1 Corinthians 3.18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. I also want to correlate this scripture here with... um, you should become as little children. So God wants us, God wants us to become as little children. It says, and he said, this is in Matthew chapter 18, verse three. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So this becoming like little children is it the same way as if you becoming a fool in order to become wise. Now I know when I spoke about this scripture on Monday, uh 1 Corinthians 3:18 about becoming a fool, you have to be you have to become a fool in order to become wise. I used a different example. But see, just a few days ago, um, the Lord gave me, a, this is what God said to me. I'm going to say it specifically exactly the way God said it. So I was in prayer and God said, perception. Perception is what separates everyone perception separates your understanding so i say okay so what do you mean god and and so like i had these conversations because like i would be praying like when i'm praying to god i pray for a long time okay i just had conversations with god like spurts of conversations with the Lord. I just pray. I say, God, well, you know, I'm just trying to figure this out in this situation. And, you know, I, I just have con- prayer is a conversation. So many times, some people, they don't, they say, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray like you. Don't, you don't pray like me. Because your conversation with God is probably going to be different than my conversation with God. I kind of get deep and personal with God. You know, I go, I, I, I get to asking God all kind of questions. Well, why, well, why would this professor say something like this to me, God? I'm trying to understand. Was it, was it my approach or was it his approach that was wrong? Because I want to make sure that if I did something wrong and, and, and bogus, that I don't do it again. So I need to know, God, show me where I'm wrong. So this is how I talk to God. But if you're talking to God, you may not be having those type of conversations. Your conversation will be like, okay, Lord God, I need your help. You know, however you want to talk to God, you have to figure that out. But if you're not having conversations with the Lord, then you're not building a relationship. So my prayer is conversations with God. And they real deep conversations. Because I tell God, I tell God everything. That means that if you do something, I'm going to tell God on you. 
I'm going to tell God, um, I tell God everything. I get on my knees and I pray to God. I pray. I pray when I'm laying down. I pray when I'm in the shower. I'm praying. I pray when I'm driving. I pray when I'm in the grocery store. I pray. I'm at, I ask God everything. Because I want him included fully in my life. In everything. So, it's like, going back to this. God has said perception separates the understanding of people. And so I was like, okay, so what about the people that, because I, I had wrote something on Facebook like a few weeks ago and I was talking about, um, who was this lady? I was, I was talking about, uh, oh my man, today I have been so over, kind of busy, so busy today. Um, I was talking about um, Mayu Angelou, Maya Angelou. And so what I did, I compared Maya Angelou as I, well, I specifically said that Maya Angelou is a, she's an emperor. She's an emperor of poetry and philosophy. And then I said that Albert Einstein he plagiarized the word of God, the Bible, with many of his quotations. So although he's a great philosopher, when you really look at the depths of his philosophy, he was plagiarizing the word of God, making it seem like this is things that he come up with when it really is the Bible. And I, I saw specifically a lot of the words is coming out of the Proverbs. But I'm not going to get into demystifying plagiarism with Albert Stein, Albert Einstein. I'm just saying, from my analysis, it appears that Albert Einstein has plagiarized the word of God. So I'm going to say that's a theory the hypothetical one until and further research is needed in that matter okay so getting back here to this is god said that perception separates the understanding of people and so i'm i'm like okay so what's the difference from like my maya angelou she was an authentic poet and philosopher she was very authentic god and so what God was telling me is that the, the problem is with people here in the world is they think that you are significant to them if you have not repeated something that has already been said. So if you come up with something that is so fascinating and it catches their attention, the world thinks that now you are just this genius. And so God was giving me quotations to come up with. So I had been coming up with things throughout my conversations with God. For instance, when I went on a word study and I started studying the human consciousness and I was speaking to God about conscious, our conscious mind. So anything that I want to know, I don't just look at the scientific method, even though I've always been a logical person meaning that i don't try to steer into opinion so i i kind of try to i combat 
the the dogma by dismantling things that are opinionated and empowering the, the facts so eliminating opinions over facts so combating this these type of um dogma uh dogma ideology so god said that the the conscious mind is a co-perception but everybody in the world, I keep hearing them like, I say, God, well, see, I've been reading about the conscious and all of this, and I'm just trying to figure out what is it that you really think about conscious, the conscious mind. I want to know from your perspective, not my own. And that's when God said your conscious is a co-perception. Your conscious influences your attitude and your behavior it affixes itself to your pre-existing thoughts and beliefs it shapes your beliefs and it shapes your attitude so that is your conscious that's what god said your conscious is a co-perception the way god directly influences us is through our perception our understanding and our discernment and so god was telling me this and i was like oh god yes and so what i do is i text myself everything that god tell me when i'm praying to god and i'm having conversations with the lord so i'm like oh god let me write that down okay let me write that down then i talk to god again i'm like okay so then what does this all mean and like just it just sum it up what are you what are you saying and so this is what god said he said that your perception he says your perception may be similar or even equal to the same as someone else's perception with what they say but the way it impacts you is differently than the way it impacts them. So although Maya Angelou, she is perceived from my perception as an emperor of poetry and philosophy. And so what that means that other people may see her at these high standards but the difference is the perception of understanding that we have you consider her a poet and i consider her a poet we both consider her to be a poet the difference is your perception of understanding that poetry and so that's what God said. He said, the perception is going to change. Even if you're looking at someone who is a poet, if you're analyzing things that, and you're saying this person is evil and the other person is saying they're evil, uh, you're saying someone is good, the other, someone else is saying they're good. You're all saying the same thing. But the perception of understanding those things are not the same.
And so God said that people in society, they will look over you. Because they felt like you said something that somebody else said. So it wasn't anything significant. But see, this is what God said. He said, just like your fingerprints is different from everybody else's. Your perception of understanding is going to be different from everybody else's. So I was like, <laughs> okay. So that means that this is so important for us to understand what everyone is perceiving, how they're perceiving it, how they understand it, and how they discern it. All of them things are going to be different. So when we're reading the Bible, God understands that your perception of understanding his word is not going to be maybe the same as mine. Your perception of understanding the way God loves may not be the same as mine. And so this is what makes us different. And so when we're looking at this word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, I'm going to read it again. Do not be deceived. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. And so I know I talked about this a little bit different on Monday. But I want to correlate this scripture today with Matthew chapter 18 and 3. Where it says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And so when I look at these two scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 and Matthew chapter 18 and 3. We can look at this interchangeably. The reason why is this. A fool is someone with a lack of knowledge, a lack of wisdom, and a lack of common sense. So, if you look at what God is saying here, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then I want to go to another verse. You, uh... Let, let me go to another verse where it says, uh, you are like babies. You are like uh, babies. Still on milk. Um, so this is in Hebrews. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11. It says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. When, now, now let's look at, let's reflect on Hebrews 5 and 11. Who 
no longer try to understand. That's the people that fall away. They no longer try to understand. Why? It's because when you think you know, you don't want to listen to nothing else. It's like, oh, yeah, well, see, um, God just didn't listen. God just let it happen. So how God loves somebody. Oh, God just let God just let us go through all of that. So that's what I mean by this verse, Hebrews chapter 5 and 11. So we have much to say about this, but it is it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. This is for people who they know everything about who God is, but don't know nothing about who God is. So I'm going to say that again. This is for people that know everything about who God is, but don't know nothing about who God is. They blame everything on God. Well, God did this, see, and God let that happen. So why did God do that? If God is God, he could have stopped it. If God is God and he loved people, why he letting people die? If God is God, why he ain't get rid of the devil? If God is God, why did he even create the devil? See, these questions are not like hard to understand. They, they only hard to understand if you didn't ask God to help you understand. So you going on in life and you like, oh, see, God, God created the devil. So why he create him then? You asking the wrong people. You should be asking God who created the devil. He created him. He didn't, he didn't create his attributes. He didn't create his choices. See, when, when, you, when you have a relationship with God, all your answers going to get answered. See, because I had questions for God. I'm not, I wasn't going around here asking people about God. I tried that. And nobody can answer none of my questions. So I start asking God. Well, why? Tell me what's going on, God. So I don't have to figure it out. Because he answered it already. So, like I said, there are people out here in this world. Who know everything about God. But don't know nothing about God. So what God created Satan. Okay, let's talk about that. God created everything, including all the angels, every living thing, every spiritual thing. But he didn't create your choice. So if your man wonder, who man did that? 
It was you. So, well, well, why God, why God allowing this to happen? He could just make us, make you, make you love him. You think God want to make you love him? Do you want to make your spouse love you? You just want to make the person love you? They just walking around the house just do this now. And they just a robot. Yes, master. Yes, master. Your chicken is coming right up, master. What type of drink would you like, master? It's like that movie, uh, Coming to America. She was like, she was like, uh, I'm, I'm here to do whatever you like to do. Whatever you would like to eat, I like to eat. Wherever you like to go, I like to go. You think God want us to be robotic? Absolutely not. So you think that God, being God, is going to create people to say, okay, yes, master, I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. However you want me to go there. Whenever you want me to go. So that's not the way God wants us to be. And so God wants you to go where you want to go and serve him voluntarily. So God, I want to go wherever you want me to go. And I'm doing this voluntarily. I'm going to say however, however you want me to say it. And I'm doing this voluntarily. But don't get me wrong now. I would be from the south side of heaven. Because I'm from the south side of Chicago. My choices is to choose God. But that wasn't the way that I was raised. So don't play games with people that's choosing God voluntarily. So we are all human. You understand? And then the problem is, is that by us being human, we all make mistakes. So God is not going to rid you of choices. He's not going to create this world where you don't have the option. In the Garden of Eden, it was two trees. One was the tree of life. And the other one was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So why then would they choose the latter? So we have to all understand that God wants you to understand. If you were without choice, then you wouldn't love God genuinely. Would you love your spouse genuinely or un, uh, you, you just loving them because you want to be a robot? It's yes, master. Yes. Yes, master. Nobody wants you to be a robot. This is not coming to America where you're, oh, I want to eat whatever you want to eat. I want to go wherever you want to go. However you like me to go there, 
Hop on one foot. Work like a dog. Work, work, work. I mean, who who wants to do that? I mean, I'm just <laughs> I'm just being funny here. I'm not trying to be condescending. But when I hear people say things that's in contrary to what the Bible says, it puts me back down memory lane and it makes me think about all the stuff that I used to think about. Well, God, why? But see, you won't get your answers until you talk to God. So God is not going, if your wife cheat and she sleep with every man in the world, Every man you've ever introduced her to, she has slept with. You think God going to get rid of all the men in the world just so your wife can be faithful to you? Get rid of all the temptation. I want my wife to be faithful. Why does, why does she keep falling for these men? Get rid of all of these men. How do that sound to you? Hopefully I'm making sense, right? So why would God get rid of all of the women in the world? Because your husband don't know how to be faithful. He just out there sleeping with everybody. The male lady, the ice cream truck lady driver, everybody. And you just pray, oh, oh, well, what are you praying? Temptation go away. I mean, you, we, we, they, we are not living in those times. That's why I'm bringing up this scripture here in Hebrews chapter five, verse eleven through fourteen. So going back to this scripture, understanding that we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. So the people that no longer try to understand, we have to figure out that these are the people that are falling away from God. So in verse 12, it says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, when you mature in God's word, see, I always haven't been mature. And so this is why I want to reflect Back to 1 Corinthians 3.18. That we need to become fools in order to become wise. And if you move fast forward, I mean, we ran back to Matthew 18 and 3. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what God is saying here, like, look, don't be stuck on baby milk. You're at baby milk. Let, let, let me read this other scripture that, that this scripture is coming to me right now. The Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um,
So, if you go to uh, uh, First Corinthians chapter three, verse nineteen, chapter three, verse nineteen, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. So, so look, 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 look. See, he catches the wise. So people that claim to be wise. See, see, th look, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. For we going back to 1 Corinthians 3.18. And it says, see, if you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you become wise. And fast forward to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, 3.19, which is the next verse. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So some people walking around here, they, like I said, you think that you know God, but you know nothing about God. And the reason why is because God catches the wise in their craftiness. They, they think that they are clever. They think that they are smart. They think, according to the wisdom of this world, they think that they know God, but they know nothing about God. And so God is like, okay, look, look. He catches them in the in the wise, he catches the wise in their craftiness, in their cleverness. And he say, look, see, you thought that you were smart. You thought that you were wise. You thought that you knew me. But you really don't. See, because you will know that our God who loves us went through temptation when he manifested here on the flesh he went through temptation just like us he overcame the temptation because the same people that spit on him and beat him he still offered them the opportunity even when peter denied him he still became the apostle You understand? Humble. So you, you, you think you know God, but you know nothing about God. So according to this worldly standard, if you think you are wise according to the world standard of this age, go back and unlearn. So that means that anything that's spiritual... Look, look, I could tell you this. I have a, let me, let me explain something today, right? I literally go through a lot of challenges. I have been through a lot of challenges working with people. Like once you get in higher education, everyone becomes so elevated in wisdom and knowledge. That it's almost spirituality becomes to the point where it's almost extinct. 
it becomes extinct. Like, I'm serious. Like, uh, understanding God, it's like to people that are high, that consider themselves extremely intelligent, clever, and with craftiness, their spirituality becomes almost extinct in their lives. I'm telling you this through experience. I don't have any scientific methods to prove this i'm just telling you that further research will be needed in order to identify the correlations of people in higher education and their spirituality okay and so if we as children of god are going to move forward in our pro in our our progress in righteousness we are all a part of the body of christ which what that means is i am not going to be living my life where i don't want you to be included because you are a part of the body of christ god positioned me exactly where i needed to be today i could have been a million other different places believe me I didn't hit option overload. But one thing about it is see, God wants us to become fools in order to become wise. We should become like little children, meaning like, okay, you know what? I really don't know this God. But like, like for me, I was, I was actually struggling with sexual thoughts like i'm like oh what is going on with me like i've never been single for this long ever in my life and so i talked to one of my friends yesterday and he was like you know you gonna you can start getting used to being single for too long and it could impact your life like well see i wasn't thinking about that but I guess with being single, it's really like allowing me to focus on my relationship with God. Because see, a relationship, like a marriage and stuff, it's it's always something going on where it's like, okay, I'm not spending enough time. I'm, you know, like my life is right now, I'm always busy. And I, I'm not busy where i'm a non-performing type of busy i'm busy like when i'm doing work i'm doing work okay some people busy and they not doing nothing at all they just they look busy but um that's not the case so i just want to say that god wants us to unlearn things and the way we unlearn them is we're like, okay, God, like with me having those thoughts about intimacy, I had to say, okay, so God, I, I really, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Like, I thought I was strong. I like, I'm strong in so many areas. Like, I literally quit smoking. I don't drink. I don't like, you know, so... I'm sitting here like how how can the 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 part about my life 
that was prioritized at the bottom of the list be something that could be impacting me now? Like, sex was never at the top of my to-do list. Right? I'm going to say that again. So, in my life, sex has never been at the top of my to-do list. So how can something that I've always considered to be like the lowest priority be something that is now like acting as a priority? So what God was saying to me, he said, look, I need you to unlearn what you thought you knew. And I'm like, God, I, I unlearned all of this stuff. Like I had some, I don't know what type of the, like all of that stuff with women and polygamy and, and, and threesomes and stuff like that. With I, I'm just like, I thought I unlearned all of that. Right? Because like, I thought I did. I mean, cause I don't think about that stuff. But God said to see, I'm trying to get all of it out of you. And I was like, okay, okay. So the way that we begin to change, and I, I, don't, I don't know how to be more vulnerable and more open about these things than I am being right now. Sometimes it's very difficult to talk about your mistakes. People don't just wake up and be like, you know, I made a mistake because I was sitting here thinking about lust all day for four hours. It's like, well, wait, what did you just say? People don't wake up and they polarize their mistakes. They don't acknowledge their wrongs. And this is what I talked about on Tuesday about picking up your cross. Your cross is when you can um, put away your old self. Right? I, I had it written down, but then I started writing on something else. You put away your old self. Once you put away your old self, then you're going to accept your wrongs. You you let you you let go of the denial after you put away your old self, letting go of the denial of things that's prohibiting you from moving forward, and then you accept your wrongs. So that's the number one thing that God wants us to understand when He's teaching us in His Word. Whatever it is that you're reading, make sure you go back and say, okay, how does this interfere with my current belief? So on Tuesday, I talked about how I used to like be extremely attracted to women. And I was actually almost about to get in a relationship with a woman that I had already been messing with for three years. But I didn't because that wasn't something that was going to be at my list of priorities either. So... I want to make sure that I was making doing what God wanted. And I knew that God did not want me as a woman being with another woman in a marriage or a relationship. So I knew that. 
So many times when we're doing things that's wrong, God is tugging our heart. God is, he's coming after us with his love. He uses people. He sent people in our path. We, we have access to his word. In whichever way he gives it to us. That's God speaking to us. So when God speaks to us, we need to be able to hear him. So let's not, you know, get too far gone into our belief system where you become so wise that you become unteachable. So going back to Hebrews in chapter 12, it says, in fact, you, you thought you, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of being of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. So God will continue to give you his word snippets at a time. But when are you going to be tired of your choices? See, you have to like get to a point where you're sick of sin. You so sick of sin. It's like, oh God, I'm at this point where it's the, it's the breaking down point. I need you. Period. That's it, God. I need you. <clears throat> so God doesn't have to keep distributing you milk. It's like you, you, you get it. You need milk, not solid food. Hebrews chapter five, verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. And so the reason why is because people are going about this type of stuff and they're constantly doing the same thing over and over and over again. A recycled mistake with different people over and over again. You didn't did this same thing 50 times already. And each time you did it, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, this a this a new sit, this a new girl. She much nicer than the last one, you know. Yep. But see, you didn't recognize it is not the girl. It's not the man that you're choosing. It's your internal inconsistencies. See, because if you was in your right frame of man, the man that God is giving you, the, the mind that God wants you to be on solid food, not the milk. The solid food. You wouldn't be making the choices that you're making right now. You wouldn't have had to go back in and, and feel bad about all of this stuff. Yeah, now things are not going to always be perfect in a relationship when you don't have God in there. Perfect means to be mature in the eyes of God. But if you're depending on your own understanding and, and, and the perspective of this world, perfect means without flaw. So you're going to constantly be thinking that your relationship can be without flaws. But see, if you had God in your, your marriage, then you're going to know that God wants you to just listen a little bit more to your spouse. Maybe give her more compliments Make her feel like she's the beautifulest woman in the world. 
maybe rub his stinky feet where his feet stink and get him, put some put some baking soda on it and then wash it. Give him a foot bath. Rub his back from working all day. You know, so that's that's the point. The point is, is that your perception of understanding is going to be different when you're no longer on milk. See, you got to get tired of your choices. When you tired of your choices, call on God. When you get tired of them situations that you keep going through over and over and over again, then you call on God. And then he hears you, he opens the door, and then guess what? You're doing the same thing all over again. See, this time around for me, I'm not doing the same thing. I don't, I don't have time for that. I'm tired of I'm tired of choices that's leading to pain and hurt. Like, no, God, I don't want to go through this experience. Like this person now is bugging me and now you're you the one that's wrong. So why is you bothering me? That doesn't make sense. That that's 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 hurtful. You know, like you messed up. So you mad because I won't call you, but you the one that messed up. So, you know, you get into these situations that's just unnecessary situations. These unnecessary situations that cause you pain and hurt. Because it's like, okay, I do want to talk to you, but I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to you. I don't want to deal with it. I don't care what no other woman do. I'm not them other women. I don't have anything to do with that. Okay? So, it's like we have to understand that. So, God says, this Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So, God wants us to be open. He wants us to understand that, you know, like, yes, he, he know that you will still be on milk. Thinking you know all about God and you know nothing about God. Because if you knew God, you would know that God isn't going to eliminate your choices. God is not going to force you to do anything when he only requires you to do things voluntarily. That's the requirement. You're going to do whatever you're going to do voluntarily through your free will. The angels in heaven have a free will. People have a free will. We have a free will to coexist with our planet. I was looking at a, a Twitter video yesterday. And when I looked at this Twitter video I seen all of these people like taking candy and stuff. And then the, on the on the video commentary, they said, it's just like, you know, when somebody doesn't put their shopping cart back. When you're in the in the in the grocery store and you don't put your shopping cart back. So I kind of feel bad about that. Because I'm like, I, I do go grocery shopping a lot. Cause if I run out of beverages like my juices, my um uh, milk and water like i always have 
beverages in the house. So I'm always going to have some 100% juice. I don't drink soda. So it's like, I'm need, I need some water, okay? And I need juice. So I'm always at the store. And I, um, I went to the grocery store yesterday. And um, I got a few things. And um, I, I didn't put the shopping cart back. And so when I read this um, commentary under this video, I'm like, okay, thank you for reminding me of that. You know, it's like we have to look at our internal qualities within or do we have to? See, because I looked at the fact that I didn't put the shopping cart back. And now I'm looking at a video late at night that's talking about people that don't put the shopping cart back. So how did I just get impacted by that? This person said people don't put the shopping cart back, but I related to that from the way I grew up. My grandmother always said, don't leave the shopping cart for someone else to pick up your slack. You pick up your own slack. When you go out to eat, you clean off of the table. You put the excess food in the bowl. You clean up behind yourself. Don't make nobody else pick up your slack. And so it just like made me think about that. It's just like when you're when you are, um, when you, just anywhere you, it doesn't matter where you are. Pick up your own slack. Clean up behind yourself. I think about how we coexist with the planet. And then I think about how, you know, some people, like I, everybody, I think everybody have thrown stuff out the window before. But it's like, once you get to a certain age, it's like, no, 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 no. Don't throw that out the window. Why would you throw that out the window? So somebody else would clean up behind you. What if they end up in a field somewhere? What if an animal get it? You know, like you just leaving your trash outside for somebody else to clean up. So it's about our perception it's our perception is different with how we all understand it, things. So your perception of understanding is different from mine. Yeah, he just talked about the shopping cart, but it went deeper for me. It went to the point where now I'm thinking about coexisting with the planet. How are we coexisting with the planet when animals are really pretty much becoming endangered because of our demand for you know like uh, uh we we just not coexisting with the planet right we have so many high demands that is causing animals to become endangered for instance when we think about the the whales just the sea creatures they're out there and guess what because of our import and export of trade do you know that ships are causing sea creatures to go in places that they shouldn't go? They they would normally dominate a certain area, but due to due to the increased 
um, amount of, of ships traveling back and forth through their territory, it's causing some, some sea creatures to become extinct. Specifically, whales are not even able to thrive in the ocean as much as they used to because of the high demand of our import and export. So he's talking about this shopping cart and people don't put their shopping cart back. But that resonated with me with, well, we not coexisting with the planet either. So yes, our perceptions of understanding things are different. And so it means that no one's perception is, is equal or lesser value unless you listen to it. You have to be receptive. You have to reciprocate of what a person is saying to you. Let it resonate with you by listening to what they have to say. So now moving forward, we see that perception will impact our understanding. It also will influence the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So that's, that's it there. I want to kind of shift focus a little bit. And now I want to talk about... um. So now we left off on this video with uh, Sean King and we left off on, I believe it was Monday. I left off at 12 minutes and 33 seconds. So I want to pick back up like to on, um, I want to pick back up on this video at 12 minutes and 33 seconds. So let's listen to his video here. This is the power of influence. The power of influence. Um, Sean draws upon the own his own experiences in the business world, as well as the Amazing Race Canada, in order for him to discuss how individuals can positively positively influence one another to create change. So let me go ahead and play the um, video. If you all have any questions, please do chime in and put them in the chat. I thought. You know, we were so excited when we first got announced as a team on the race because we were the only team that was from Atlantic Canada. And that was so exciting. Oh, my God, everyone's going to be rooting for us. It's going to be great. And then I dislocated my arm and got out, and I thought, oh, my God, we're the only team in Atlantic Canada. Everyone's going to be so disappointed. Well, the truth is nobody cared as much about this as we did. They designed it that way, I think. Um, but then two things happened. Uh, and this isn't about our influence on these people. This is about their influence on us. The first was every week that the race was, somebody was eliminated, they were, they were giving gifts to people who had tweeted about it. And in this case, I can't even see it here, but somebody had tweeted about the influence uh, that we had on them and, and referred to us as a bit of a class act. It turns out that this person was actually a friend of my wife's who we hadn't seen in years, who now lived in Alberta, out west, which was crazy. But we saw that tweet, and the first thing I thought was, wow. Here I was worried about people being upset and thinking what they were going to think, and this tweet actually started to make me feel better. I started to think less about who to disappoint, I wish we could have gone further, all that stuff, and thought, wow, like, 
That actually impacted me. It's the first time I started to feel better. Then we got asked to, um, we got asked to take part in this uh, Parkinson's Superwalk just to help bring some attention to it and to, to see if we could um, help them. So we went down to do that walk, and I remember feeling quite awkward when we got there because, again, who, nobody knows us. We're going to do this thing. It's not stuff that we typically do, but we'll go do it. And we went and we, we were starting to walk. We were walking around the block, and a pretty neat thing started to happen. All these people, all ages, uh, kept coming up to us and saying, oh, it was so great to see you guys on the race, and how's your shoulder? And all of a sudden, again, it, it was starting to lift and feel much better. It just seconds, you know, that people took to say, amazing job, and it was so great. You know, it was just seconds. We finished that. We went, we did a speech at the end, and there were a few people who came up to take pictures with us. And there was, a, I think, a, a little girl um, who came up, and she just seemed really, really excited to, to be taking a picture with us. And again, this wasn't about our impact on her. This was about, she has no idea what that did for me. To know that she was that excited to see us, and here I was sulking about the whole thing. It changed the way I felt about that experience. I talked earlier about, you know, my, our parents and the influence that they have. I don't think you can have a talk about the power of influence and not talk about your parents. That's where it all begins. Again, I don't know if they know what they said to me, the impact that they had, but they will now. <laughs> My wife and I were, were, were looking around or talking to someone. I can't remember what it was. It might have been in a book, but we were reading about the frustrations of raising a teen. And uh, I remember, again, one thing that stuck out in that book. And it was this, this thought, that no matter what you think, no matter what, how much you think they're not listening, no matter how much you think they don't care, keep saying what you think, keep believing in what you say, and something will stick. Something will stick. I actually don't think this applies just to kids. I actually think it applies to all of us. That's the superhuman power that we all have. We have the ability to influence and shape the lives of people with the things we say, how we act, and the choices we make with it. So you have it. I hope you find it. Most importantly, I hope you use it for good. Thank you. Yes, so that was just so amazing. That was amazing right there. He he really talked about how God's will will always exist. Always. And I like that last example that he gave about when you're speaking to teenagers or your kids. Just keep saying what you have to say and something will stick. I like that. But it doesn't just apply with teenagers. It applies to all of us. And so many times when God is telling you to say something, just say it. Just be bold and say it. Because see, God, the way God works is really, really fascinating. You don't know that that person just might need it to hear that. That person just might need it to hear you say that. So I wanted to um I wanted to look at uh these couple articles here where it's quite a few articles actually, okay? So I'm not going to talk about how many there are. I'm going to just try to get through as many of these articles as I can. Um but they are very good. 
So there's an article by Psychology Today who is um, a medical doctor named Alex uh, Alex Likerman, okay? Um, he talks about happiness in this world, okay? The article is a persuasion article about the power of influence and how you can affect the world and how you have more power than you think. And this article was actually published in 2015. So he talks about um influence and how influence will control your life it says control over our lives is something that we all want but influence will control your life i'm adding that in there um but he talks about how we can be mutually interdependent so none of us are going to have absolute control over anything except for our time and ourselves so like for me i can say for sure for sure my time is valuable if i spend an hour talking to you about something like i'm having a meeting with you guess what you better value that because most of my time, I could be spending my time doing something that is contributing to a goal or contributing to helping someone else that needs it. Or maybe contributing to uh, investing in time in myself and, and contributing to investing in my relationship with God. So time is to me should always be used efficiently always so what he's saying here is that absolute control is really given with how you utilize your time and how how you live your life so we look at the greater of our influence is really about how um personal we are with other people in order for us to become an influence, you have to become a, a, a you have to become, so you are going to be someone's child. You're going to be someone's sibling, their spouse, their friend. You might be a stranger to somebody that may need you. Who is stranded in a car somewhere when you, they need your help. So I've learned too through experience that sometimes people, people may they may forget everything about you but they're not gonna ever forget how you help them and then i think that that statement can be ambiguous too because it really depends on who you help i've helped people where they forgot that i helped them like did you forget that i helped you like you're making it sound like i never did anything in this world for you you know, I was there for you when you needed when you needed your bills paid. I was there. I was there to listen. I was there to support you as a sister, as a daughter, as a as a spouse, as a mom, you know, all of these different things. So when you think about sometimes some people, they will forget. But I want to talk about that there. Right. Um, let's let's look at this for a second. I want to go to a scripture now. OK um i'm 
Let me pull up this scripture. We're going to go to uh, Matthew 13 and 58. Actually, let's just look at Matthew chapter 13. That's what I'm going to look at. Matthew chapter 13. It says, um, we're going to go down to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 53. Let's look at Matthew 13 verse 53. It says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown. So Jesus, listen, Jesus went to his see now i know for a fact that you the same person that used to party every weekend they get drunk and high that you be going around now stealing doing this you the same person that used to do this and that you the same person. So people that you know in your hometown, like people, they're they going to look at you like a certain way. For instance, they look at me. Oh, she's so smart. You just so smart. When I go to my town, everybody want me to do something. I literally never, ever get a break. It's, oh, could you help me? Could you help me do this? I need this done. I need this done for my business. I need this. Could you help me do that? When do you gonna have time? I just got, I literally, I, I haven't even made, I haven't even laid down yet. I just been, you know, like, I, let me have a day, you know, to relax for a moment. So it's like when the person, they know that you're, they feel like you're the connect. 
with everything is
half empty or is your cup half full? Which one is your cup? Half empty or half full? How much you need to fill it up? Because if, if you're looking at your cup half full, you're going to be looking at how much more I need to fill this up. Not how much it's empty. Okay, so it's too much emptiness, you know. You are, Look at the water. You got half water in there. What can you do with the half one? So looking at your, your glass in a way where you being pessimistic or are you being optimistic? Focusing on the good value, the good things. We have to at least be consistent with those things. Because in order for you to overcome your the task in life, you have to understand that the way that you think it's the epitome of how you are going to be able to help yourself and help other people. So that's it for that article. So maybe I can go through one more article. Okay. So I want to, um, this next article is out of Harvard, uh, business review and it's the power and influence understanding the four components of influence this is by uh nick morgan this was published also in 2015 and it talks about the uh four different components of influence all right and so we see that there is positional power and positional power basically says that there is simple proposition of how we conversate and we maintain our communications with people, how we relatively influence each other. So this positional power allows us to um, interact and engage with other people in a certain way. If, for instance, expect us um, to talk less. Do you interrupt less? Do you choose the topics of conversations less? Are you exercising the right to talk more about subjects than, um, than others? How are you positioning your power? So positional power allows us to sort of have positional authority. And so when we, by us having the power of the Holy Spirit, we should always be in a positional authority. So, for instance, I volunteer today. I listen to people all day long today. I very seldom interrupt anyone that is going through any type of struggles. I help individuals that are going through a lot of problems, including suicidal ideation. And so, how do we gain this positional authority? See, positional authority would say it's not about you interrupting people is really about guess what when i'm helping that person that's on the other end i'm in complete listening mode they have the authority of this conversation they know what they're going through in their life i don't have a clue i only know what they're telling me so at this point my positional power is giving them the power giving them the control. It's all about listening, being intentional 
intentional listening at that point. Now, if I'm doing my, my schoolwork in an academic setting, like I was today, it, this is very important for me. Look, okay, we, we have to get this done. So now I have to collaborate in a way where it's effective and efficient because this is my work. So I, I need to also talk less and engage more. Meaning that, okay, this makes sense. It doesn't make sense. I need to make sure that I'm collaborating my efforts where we are both going to be efficient. So the next one is um, having that influence of emotion. So many of us, we um, have higher and extreme levels of emotion. Many, some people have extremities to their emotion. Some people are specifically uh, driven by their emotions. And that, that emotion can sometimes dominate conversations, right? And then you, you have these, um, these walls of competition that people have where they have, may have a performance of silence. Or they might take the positional authority in a way where they want to you know, judge a person or just simply be a support system. So you have some people who, who maintain their emotional uh, intelligence. And so we need to be able to mirror the emotions of other people. I'm not going to talk to my sons the way that I talk to my daughter. It's all about having empathy for individuals that you interact with. So today I volunteered and I was working with other volunteers and I gained a better understanding of just how genuinely empathetic they are. And although I know that the people, the, the callers can hear them over the phone, I actually visually saw their empathy and heard it. So just appealing to their emotional intelligence gives me the ability to better understand that person. So the way I talk to volunteer A would be different than the way that I talk to volunteer B. So let's look at the third one is expertise. So we have some people are experts at dominating conversations. For instance, if you are talking to an expert mechanic, now, mind you, there are, there are people that are experts, but they didn't go to school to become an expert. So, I mean, that's really unfortunate that they didn't go to school to become licensed and become the expert that they needed to. But that doesn't mean that we have to negate what they're saying because they're still an expert. And I see many times it's like, well, since you didn't get the credentialing that you needed, you're not going to get the pay that you needed. Even though this alley mechanic have the same expertise as someone in the shop. They are then sort of demeaned because they didn't get the credentialing, the credentially that was needed in order for them to become an expert. But our expertise of influence we need to be able to still dominate through passion 
We need to be passionate about things. Having passion, including our expertise. This is why I talk really a lot about passionate communication. Compassionate communication. Vulnerable communication. That just because I'm an expert doesn't mean that I can't learn from you. So I recently had a discussion with someone yesterday. This is a different person than the other. Um, well, I, this this someone different. I had like a long debate over words. And it was on the fact that I said that English is just the language. It, 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 it gives you the ability to utilize words within the English vocabulary. But words themselves cannot measure intelligence. Now, you can take a vocabulary assessment to see where you place on your vocabulary level. But words themselves will never measure intelligent levels. So it cannot measure your IQ. It can never, ever measure intelligence. So English is just the language. It does not measure intelligence. So, so many people in this world have sort of incorporated and integrated these linguistic racist racist uh words and so we see so many times where there are grants that are given to business owners there are programs that are offered to everyone in the community there are different ways to um expand your business but no one seems to know how to get this information completed. No one seems to know how to go and get their own expungement done. No one knows how to go and file their own bankruptcy, even though it's an available. There are resources, if you just read them, there are government-assisted programs to help people get all of these services. But because of linguistic racism, there are a lot of people that don't utilize the programs and services that are available to them in a community. For instance, the United States Department of Agriculture gives a $40,000 grant to every single homeowner that lives within the Department of Agriculture zoning area. And they give out grants to anyone that's over 62 years of age. But when you get this packet of information, the language that is used makes it so difficult to complete the application. So guess what? We're gonna stick to simple communication efforts to make sure that if we can, if, 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 if we cannot explain it to a six-year-old, then that means that we don't understand it. And that is from Albert Einstein, by the way. Okay? He said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it. So it's important for us to use our expertise in a way that we are both passionate 
and compassionate when we're communicating our efforts to other people. So, um, I think that was four. Was that or no? What that's positional power, emotion, expertise, and nonverbal signals. Nonverbal signals is really important for us to make sure that we're conveying our perspective in a way that is respectful. And so that's it with that article. And I'm at the two hour mark. So I'm going to end on that note tonight. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you for giving us your word today. Allow it to resonate in our hearts. Keep our hearts and minds softened for you. God, do not let us be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, allow us to continue to walk in righteousness. Let us be inspired, influenced, and encouraged by you. We attach our behavior and confidence to you, including our motivation. But most importantly, Lord, please allow your will to be done in our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining me. I will see you all tomorrow. Please remember that if you have a prayer request, send that over to Lost Life Health at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. I'll see you all tomorrow.